Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. I'm Sam Moores. And with me today, I have Larry Chen, all the way over from LA. Hi, Larry. Hey, what's up? Can you tell the listeners sort of who you are and what you do? I am Larry Chen. I'm an automotive photographer and I just travel the world and I take pictures of what I think are the coolest cars. And I just kind of tell their story. And there's no rhyme or reason why I choose the cars that I choose. They just speak to me for whatever reason. Some of them are really expensive. For example, like yesterday, I shot Jeff Swartz 935 XP car, which mm. I don't even know how much that thing is. 1.5 million, maybe more. That looks mad, that thing. Yeah. And when I showed up, he's hasn't driven it, you know, and <laughs> it's like a, it's like a brand new car. I look at the exhaust tips. I took a picture of the exhaust tips and he went out for his first session. He probably drove hard 30 minutes. And I look at the exhaust tips again and they're completely blue. So I know for a fact that it pretty much had zero miles on it. And then after that, it had a lot of hard driven miles on it. Uh, but the day before that I shot drift cars and their body panels were just falling apart. And yeah. it, it's, it's crazy to me that just the range of things that I get to shoot. Yeah. And it could be all from all different manufacturers too you know it's not just japanese cars it's uh, european american pretty much anything and everything and i'm very lucky that i get to work with amazing people in the industry um, on the media side as well as 
on the OE manufacturer side. Mm. Like I just did a job for Rivian, which is a new electric truck company. And it is, it's the craziest thing. They like value my opinion and they also value me just capturing what the vehicle looks like in the world. It's really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. I think like my experience from photographing stuff has been, like you said, the takeaway is, is kind of normally it's the people and the cars are like a side product of, yes, it's, I love cars and whatever, but yeah. just meeting so many different people of all ends. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of people have wrong or a lot of people try to get into this industry and they maybe take a, the wrong approach. First, you have to be very easy to work with and fun to work with and funny. And you have to just be personable because really you're spending so much time with these people, uh, art directors, uh, you know, people in charge. It's, it's um, one of those things where you just have to, it's just a relationship that you have to build over time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. Like you've got to, you've got to be someone they want to hang out with because you have to spend yeah. a lot of time. Oh yeah. So, so how did you get, how did you get into this? How did you, have you always been into photography? No, I actually, I was into cars before photography. I was into cars, um, in a, in a smaller scale, literally I was into remote control cars, model cars, you know, that's what you can do as a kid in in the U S you, you, you get into like you scale up over time. I guess as soon as I pretty much got my real car, I just stopped playing with scale cars, but now it's come full circle because now I'm (laughs) playing with remote control cars again, um, just because I have the time for it. And, I have kids and I like kind of getting them into the hobby too, you know? So it's, yeah, um, for sure. yeah, it, it definitely cars first. Uh, I get that asked uh, a lot, even to the point where people ask me, you know, if I had to choose, what would I choose cars or photography? You know, my first love is definitely cars. This is uh, going to sound really, really Asian, but, uh, my mom told me that I used to use chopsticks to like build parking structures and roads so I could drive (laughs) my cars through them. And I think that's probably the most Asian car (laughs) thing ever. Um, But yeah, I I, I would choose cars over photography. You know, photography for me is just a way for me to enjoy cars. Mm. There's many ways to enjoy cars, right? If you're, if you're wealthy, you know, you can buy what cars you want to buy. If you are a mechanic, you work on them and you get dirty and then you touch them and you modify them physically. If you're a racing driver, then you wheel them. You know, you push them. Potentially some people that I know that are racing drivers don't actually like cars. They just like driving. Yeah. So it's weird to me because I like to talk about cars. I I talk to them (laughs) and I'm like, Hey, so like, what do you want to build personally, you know, or what, what things are you into personally? It's like, you know, honestly, I don't like cars. I just, just, I'm going to have my crew chief, get me the car, the right car. Uh, I get my sponsors. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to win. And that's it. You know, forget about actually building a car from the ground up. So yeah, there's different ways to enjoy it. And because I'm not any of the other ones, you know, mm. I, 
I'm okay at working on cars. I'm okay at a lot of things, driving them. I love driving them and I love racing, but I'm only okay, you know, yeah, yeah. not that good. But the thing that I definitely took, um, I, I guess, head on was the photography side of it, right? So that is allowing me to still spend time in this industry with these cars, with culture, and it's allowed me to travel all over the world on other people's dimes. And it's uh, been really an amazing ride, for sure. Yeah, I've, I've seen your photos over the years in all sorts of cool places, all sorts of cool events, sick cars in stupid positions, in weird places. Have you, have you found yourself in some like really sketchy shooting situations? Oh, all the time, all the time. Even just this last shoot that I shot this weekend, yeah. uh, my buddy Ryan Literal, he, he called me. He's like, hey, this is pretty much the first event since the lockdown that I'm going to go to. And it's the first time I'm going to drift all year in my competition car, his pro car, which is, you know, 800 horsepower, whatever, full, fully legal formula drift car. He's like, but the kicker is I would love to drive it on the street. Can you help me? I said, oh, wow, this is perfect. (laughs) I have the perfect opportunity for you because 10 years ago, I did a full story on the streets of downtown Chicago. I had my camera, you know, and I met up with this local street drifting club or street drifting group. And they... Showed me a good time. We did some street drifting. We drove on the streets and it was great. But the whole time I was thinking, hey, this kind of story would be so cool to tell on video one day. Yeah. Well, that day was this past weekend and we trailered his car into downtown and and we parked it, unloaded it build it up with E85 as much as it could take. And in, even in our chase vehicle, we had spare tires, spare fuel, spare everything just in case it broke down because I think it has only like a five gallon tank or something. <laughs> yeah. And we drove it on the streets with probably some of the top street drift cars in the U S they're just so good looking. And the, they put so much attention to de- detail, which it's just a different culture that I don't, I understand, but I just couldn't imagine doing it myself, which is mm. rebuilding a car pretty much after every time you yeah. hit something and you hit things a lot, you know, in a drift car. So we go out there and super sketchy, um, not to mention the public is like, what's going on here? And then the police are coming and saying, Hey, what, what is this? This whole time I was thinking, all right, we're going to get in trouble. They're going to take away the cars. No, the police just come by, say what's up. Oh, nice cars. And then leave because guess what? They have way crazier things to worry about <laughs> in Chicago. You know, they, they, I, I'm so happy because I got some stills and I got some video of the police coming by and like, oh, tell me about that uh, Nissan S14. Like, oh, cool. What kind of motor does it have? Oh, Awesome all right, see you guys later. (laughs) And then the lights are on and everything. I'm like, this is the craziest thing ever. Like, oh my God. But there has been so many times when we've been shooting where I I say this a lot uh, 
in interviews, but there have has been times where we actually have to hide from the authorities. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe not the police, but security guards. Yeah, yeah. Um, just event staff, just people in general. You know, I it, it's a battle, as you probably know, as a photographer. Yeah. It's always a battle to just take. Just I want one more foot. Give me yeah, yeah. one more. Give me two more. Like pretty soon I'm going to be right up to the track. And then it's like, well, what about being in the corner? Like right inside of the corner, you know, and when the car comes, I'll just move out of the way. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> um, there has been some crazy times. I always love to tell the stories about me photographing X games, which is the most restrictive series to follow. Um, when, when rally cross was a part of X games, we used to, have to shoot it because I worked for OE manufacturers at the time I was shooting pictures for Dodge or for Mopar, you know, and my client or or what what, the guy that was racing was Travis Pastrana. Okay. So Travis Pastrana is racing in his Dodge Dart and, you know, he's racing against Ken Block, Tanner Faust, um, Marcus Gronholm, you know, but every big rallycross driver trying to compete. Yeah. In X games. And we had to perform. We had to, we had to make pictures no matter what. So because these street courses were, you know, built um, in cities, sometimes we would have to hide in bus stops. Sometimes (laughs) I would have to hide behind trash cans. And then there was even one point where it was me and a bunch of other photographers there was like this bicycle barricade, you know, it's yeah, just yeah. like a big metal fence. There was a security guard kind of watching us and we had to shoot behind this barricade. But the problem is the barricade was moved so far back. We couldn't actually see the corner. So anytime the security guard turned his head away from us, we would pick up the bicycle barricade and we would move it a couple inches. Amazing. And pretty soon by the end of the race or by the time they would start, yeah. the barricade was like right next to the security guard. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just, it's like we're playing this um, game in real life. Yeah. Of, yeah. hey, let's sneak around and do crazy stuff. But it's just the funniest thing, um, even to the point where I would be walking the course and I'm like, there's got to be a place I can hide. There's, there must be. Yeah. And I look around and I see my other people, like other photographers, just hiding in a place. And they're like, don't look at me. Don't acknowledge that I'm here. People are watching you. But if you just keep walking, they're not going to find me. Yeah. And I can tell you, I can show you so many photos that I've taken over the years just from these locations where they just don't want you to be. Even like um, I've covered the Macau Grand Prix where you just have to sneak it. You have to hide in bushes. You have to hide in just like the smallest areas. If it could fit you and the security guards or police can't see you, then you're good. You get your shot and then you move on. And those are always the best shots. Like, yeah, you know, they're, they're, I wouldn't say that they're the best, they're just the most, satisfying to get because you you there's just everything is working against you as you know as a photographer everything um your equipment your whatever the light 
yeah. even the car working, even even the subject showing up or delayed flights, you know, traffic, everything, everything's working against you to get that photo. Yeah. And you're yeah. just taking these steps and you're doing whatever you can in your experience to kind of get around that. Do you think having done photographed a lot of events and having to like deal with whatever situation you're in at that particular time, that's helped with your shoots where you've got tons of planning and tons of time because you're able to just like deal with stuff so much better. I I can't tell you. So we've been doing a lot, a lot more class A, um, just commercial photography. Yeah. And we've been doing a lot of work for Toyota over the past couple of years. And they, I kind of say that we're a little rough around the edges for them. Mm. So when I show up to one of those shoots and there's, it's a 50 person crew and I'm the photographer and I look around and I'm like, this is insane. Like (laughs) all of these people, first of all, what is everyone doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like who are these people like okay some are from corporate okay some are for the agency some are writing on notepads whatever i don't know what they're doing all i know is i'm the photographer my two guys are the assistants and i have a grip guy and i have a guy the 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 guy that drives the picture picture car Mm. that's it i don't know who everyone else is but i'm like you know what we're out here to do a job we're out here to get pictures and we just push hard, like always, but we're definitely a little more rough around the edges versus a lot of these other commercial photographers because I'm used to just running away from the police. You know, I'm used to like <laughs> sneaking these shots. Yeah. Really, it is. I mean, we call it stealing shots, right? I, I'm sure it's the same way with, with what you do. We, we just call it stealing shots. We're stealing these photos. Um when I'm shooting in the, in LA or any other city in the world, when the police come to tell you to stop, I'm like, yeah, of course, of course I'll stop. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're leaving. We're leaving. Don't worry. And I'm still shooting with live view. I'm still going like, Hey, just make a U-turn. We'll get out of here. And as they're making the U-turn, I'm like, Oh, that's a cool angle. And I'm just like, you know, shoot firing off frames. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm used to doing, you know? But uh, um, when the car is actually presented to me in good light, in the best situation, yeah. with the precision driver, with everything perfect, all the roads locked off, you know, we, we, could, we could do whatever we want. We could go backwards on the road. We could, I'm like, wow, this is so refreshing to have yeah. and not to have to worry about everything. But of course, in this grand scheme of things of course it's a lot more stressful because so much money on is on the line yeah. and you know it costs quite a bit to get those 50 people on set but yeah it's it's kind of a i'm glad you brought that up it's kind of interesting as a photographer you know you know the situations yeah it's funny like i've i've 100 had that over the years like having to shoot a lot of events early on and lots of things like gumball and stuff like that, where you just have no time, no sleep, no nothing, no control. Yeah. And you still, and you, in that one, you're surrounded by other really, other good photographers. Or at the beginning, yeah. I wasn't very, I wasn't a very good photographer at all, but there was lots of good photographers and you mm-hmm. literally just like get shown up every single second of the day. And you don't have any excuses because you're like, well, I was there and they were standing next to me and their photo was like <laughs> 10 times better than mine. So it's just yeah. punishing 
and then you le- you just learn um and then I, I very quickly started to learn like you said basically like shoot first get permission later or deal yeah. with the consequences later especially if oh yeah if someone wants to do shoot in town just just go to the places you want to go okay yeah. try not to do anything like massively illegal or anything but just park in no. places that you probably shouldn't be allowed no. to park we are just taking pictures you know exactly. we're you want to talk about illegal like we could be doing a lot worse things you know i'm that is the nerdiest thing you can possibly do <laughs> yeah, exactly. like i'm in the middle of the city and I, you know i've are, are you out of outside of london or where no, i'm in london okay so i've shot in london quite a bit right and yeah. then you know we park wherever we want whatever and really there's so many other things you could be doing in london in the totally. middle of the night with a car you know but Guess what we're doing? Nerding out over f-stops and ISOs and this <laughs> and that. You know. <laughs> Have you ever had any situations where you were like thought you were going to get robbed? I've I've had a mm. couple where it's like middle of the night, you and an expensive car, and you're like, oh, this is this has got real sketchy real quick. <laughs> you know, it. I guess we've been pretty lucky. We've. I, I try my best to kind of have that situational awareness. I, I, I've never really had any problems, but part of it is because I'm pretty paranoid when it comes to that. Yeah. Like our gear, even though it's fully insured, it's still like so personal to me, right? Yeah. Even though camera bodies and lenses and all that is pretty much, it's not disposable, but it's easily replaceable. With the same thing, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just, it's too much trouble. Like it's, it would be a disaster, and it usually is a disaster, even if we lose one body or one lens, you know, if we, if I drop it or if it gets hit or if it just, you know, bricks for whatever reason, yeah. I don't know. It's just the, the way we shoot, the way me and my three guys, I have three full-time employees hmm. and they fully, they support me. They, it's such a tight ship. If, if something like that happens, it's just ruins it. Um, so we, we really try our best anytime we're at a restaurant, anytime we stop at all for fuel or supplies, or whatever, no matter where we are in the world, we're always paranoid about our camera gear. We always keep the gear with us or we always have somebody on fire watch. That's like, yeah, and you just, you just sit there and you look at it. We, we, we're pretty paranoid about it. And in the U S I've, I've never really had any problems. I mean, I don't know. For you, where where have it's you not, had problems? Like, with? Um, other countries. Other countries. So, like, just uh, where was I? I was in Brazil. That was a bit. Oh. See, I've never shot in South America. That's one place I haven't I've shot. I've only been once. And I can imagine, potentially, it could be a little sketchy. I've, I've shot in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people that were with me were basically like, look, Literally everyone's eyeing you right now. <laughs> you gotta be a little more careful and try not to flaunt your your camera gear. So um my everyday carry, I actually carry a think tank man purse. It just looks like a regular bag, like a messenger bag. It doesn't look like a camera bag. So I usually carry that with me and I have my cameras in there. Because I found that, you know, if you just carry a camera bag, people will just target you. Right. So yeah. in the U S it's, it's also like, um, I, I, this probably is going to be a disconnect with, with the, your listeners in the UK, but we are allowed to carry firearms, you know, in the U S so yeah. 
that definitely helps us. I mean, if we know that we potentially will be in a situation, you know, so, but, but outside of the U S we, we're just, we just do our best to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever, um, tape up, do you tape up your logos or anything like that? So I, I used to tape up all my logos, but now that I work with Canon, I, I, was, I leave I was the Canon logos, just thinking that. um, but, but, um, the, the camera gear, all of my camera gear, even though, even my brand new, you know, 1DX Mark III cameras, every single piece of gear that I have, it looks haggard, like just mm. destroyed. Um, because I just, as soon as I get it, I put, you know, one layer of paper tape and then one layer of gaff tape. And then my hands get on it and then it gets dinged up, scratched up. And you look at it and it's like, I don't want to steal that. That thing is... <laughs> what a piece of crap, you know, but little do they know it's pretty much the yeah. top of the line stuff. Yeah. Yeah. When did you, have you always used Canon? So I've, I have every, uh, manufacturer, like I have something from every manufacturer, mm. but for work, I only used Canon because I don't know. It's just something that I, there was one point, right. When it was like, oh, what should I do? Nikon, Canon, whatever. Yeah. Um, I just, a good buddy of mine who was, uh, he was doing stock photography. He, he's like, you know what? You, you should just pick one. And then that's the one that you go with. And the, at the time, the, the entry level Canon camera was just a little better than the entry level Nikon. Yeah. And it was just a better price point too. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get the Canon and then just from then on, I've just shot with Canon for work. I have Leicas, I have Nikons, I have so many different brands of cameras, but all of those brands of cameras are film cameras because I still shoot film for fun. Okay. In fact, uh, I'm kind of proud of the fact that, or maybe I should be proud of it, but I've only made, I've spent thousands of dollars on my film equipment and I've only made $75 from selling photos from, <laughs> from film cameras. And that just, that wasn't even like a thing. It was, it was just by accident because yeah. I was, yeah. I was at a drag race and they were doing burnouts and I was shooting with my Leica and I scanned them and I published them. And then one of the guys, one of the car owners like, Hey, can I buy that photo from you? I'm like, no, you can have it for free. But you know, some people just insist like want to support yeah artists and so it's like no let me just give you 75 dollars and uh yeah so after spending thousands of dollars on all this film equipment i've made 75 dollars <laughs> do you try and distinguish between your like work photography and like not work photography yeah i i do i like i take a lot of pictures of my family when i'm not working um i take i love instant um photography. Oh, yeah Right? Yeah. So that's like, that's my, so what's that come out of an Instax or something? Um, it's the, it's the new mint camera. Mint makes one for the, or, or these kind of film. Yeah. But it's like, just like, so like, it's just so cool. Looking, you great. know, like, I don't know. It just has a fun look to it. It's yeah, totally. Yeah. But, but, um, yeah, I, I, I try my best to, to separate it, especially, now, before when I used to go out to different countries for work, I would always try to bring a film camera and I would use um, 
like a lead bag to put all my film in. Mm. But I just noticed that the weight is, is such an issue for me. It's already an issue, just my camera gear alone. And then if I try to bring extra cameras and stuff, it's just, I'm only one person sometimes, you know, especially with these really long haul uh, events. Yeah. I can't, sometimes I can't uh, justify bringing the whole crew or yeah. even just one assistant. So I have to, you know, try to try to be minimalistic as possible. Yeah, totally. I found that over time, I've just tried to like, I'm always, every time I travel anywhere, I'm like, how can I take less stuff and still yeah. get the results that I need? And it's been yeah, like an yeah. endless ongoing search of trying to find the smallest, lightest, cheapest, yeah. whatever that, yeah. that will work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm currently, I've, I'm shoot, I shoot with an A9 at the moment, mm-hmm. um, but I had a, I had a 1DX2 before that, mm-hmm. which I loved. But then it was just like, it was a size thing. I could suddenly yeah, just have... Yeah, it's so heavy. And then I think once I forgot to bring the battery charger, which is like a freaking kilo in yeah. itself. The thing is huge, yeah. And then I had to buy another one. And that was just part of that, just being able to like USB so, charge was a big thing. So I, I kind of have a question um, for you. Mm. Um, and a lot of people ask me this. A lot of people kind of struggle bringing camera equipment and traveling with camera equipment um, on flights in I, from my experience in Europe, it's really, really, really hard, and it's like a lot of sneaking around that you have to do, uh, kind of like what I mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what do you? How do you get around it? You just have to actually follow the rules, or? Um. So I, let me think about it. I generally, if I'm taking camera gear, I will have most of it in my hand luggage, mm-hmm. as much as possible of the like breakable shit. Mm-hmm. Um, in just a bag that goes in the overhead, and it's mm-hmm. not a problem whatsoever. Um, mm. If if it's in a if it's in a none of my bags look like camera bags, like mm. ever. Um, but if I'm if it's in a divider, I quite often have like a some sort of divider in a bag. Just going through security is fine, and then occasionally I'll chuck some stuff in my some lights and things will just go in my main bag. But I've never I've never had any problems whatsoever. Really, that's yeah. crazy because. Pretty much in the U.S., it's not an issue. It's the it's so silly, and I'm sure maybe one day it's going to change and it's going to ruin me. But when we check in our our check in bag, yeah, it's um it's 23 kilos or it's 50 pounds, yeah. right? So they weigh it. They're like, oh, like you're one pound over. Like, oh no, yeah. if they just picked up my actual camera bag, oh yeah, totally. Like three bodies, all the lenses, my laptop, everything it's well over 50 pounds. And the funny thing is I look at the overhead compartment. I exceed the weight of that thing pretty much every time yeah, I yeah. fly because just like, I try to make it look like that. It's easy. I'm like, that's the trick. Like I'm shaking. I'm like, like I'm trying to bring it up, you know? And the flight yeah. attendants just like looking at me like, why is he shaking trying to bring this thing up? It is solid, massive metal that I'm bringing on. Um, yeah. of all camera equipment that would never fly in Europe. And it's so tough for us in Europe because as soon as, because I think the weight limit is like seven or eight kilograms, right? Yeah, I've never been weighed though. It, really? it depends on how big your bag is and what it looks like. I would say if it right. looks not obscenely big, that doesn't have wheels or anything. And 
like you said, if you can carry it without it looking heavy, no problem. If you like, it's when you're like, like, oh, what's in your bag? Why is it? What's the problem? Yeah, Um, yeah. But no, I've I've not had problems. But then again, that was part of the the thing of switching to slightly smaller cameras. Yeah, because everything is everything is quite a lot lighter and smaller. But I don't I don't often travel with that much gear anymore. I try and go like two little camera bodies and a couple of lenses or whatever. Are you, um, I had a couple of sort of camera related questions. Are you like a primes versus zooms? Use, do you use everything or do you have a preference for what you use normally Um, day to day? I, I definitely prefer prime lenses and it just, I just like making it more difficult for me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it's, it's just so much about the look as you know, you know, you just, with a zoom lens, you can go down to two eight and that's it. You know, I just like being able to open up just that much more, even to the point where I have, like I carry three like uh, medium range lenses. Always. I carry the one thirty five F two, which is one of my favorite lenses because it's lightweight. That's one really big thing. Mm. It's pretty cheap. It's affordable. But also, it just has a good look to it. And then I carry the 7200 just in case I need a zoom lens yeah. for whatever reason. Sometimes I'm stuck in a place where I can't actually move backwards or forwards. Mm. Right? So that's why I usually, that's like the workhorse lens. That's super reliable, super sharp. Problem is the look, I can tell, you know, the look is is too similar to everyone else's. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and then on top of that, I carry a 200 F2 which I know it's just 0.8, you know, of f-stop better, but the look, there's no way to recreate that look. It's so crazy. I mean, it's just, it's just so much, there's just so much more bokeh, I guess. And it's, it's such a good, it's a, it's Canon. I think it's Canon's sharpest lens and well, maybe a new lens have come up that's sharper, but it's, it's just so good at wide open. I only shoot that lens at F2. There's no other reason to shoot any more yeah, than F2. No point in shooting it at 2.8. No, no, no. And so, so that's why I carried that. And it's, it's such a big hunk of metal. It's kind of a, now it's an older lens, but it's so heavy, but I have to carry it because just that look, you just cannot recreate it. You know, over time, I know software is going to get better and better and better to mm. kind of recreate Boca. Yeah. But I don't know, just getting it out of camera and especially how fast we turn things around for racing. It's just, there's just no way to, to recreate it, you know? So we mm. have to carry that stuff. Yeah. So for the, for the people that are listening that are not massive photo nerds, we're basically talking about how blurry you can make the background and the lower yeah. this F stop number you can get on your lens, the more blurry the background is. Now there's some other factors that help that, but that's basically it. Um, yeah. And, it's not like shooting um, something that's close to you, right? So it's not like shooting people. I'm trying to blur out the background with a subject that's far away. So that's why I'm carrying the 400 F2.8 and also the 200 F2 as my go-to, you know, longer range lenses. Yeah, yeah my, I, I had a question. It was literally, this is just from like a personal thing, 300 mm-hmm. versus 400 carrying around because mm-hmm. I've carried both around. And I generally just, I don't shoot sport, like sporty type stuff or track mm-hmm. stuff that often. So I don't own one, but 
But I found shooting with the 300, I can generally get away with it, and it's a lot lighter than the 400. But how do you sit on that one? Yes, yeah, so the the new 400, which we just got this year, is uh, I can actually handhold it now. It's so light. It's half the weight of the first one. Oh, really? Okay, that's huge. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. I have all three. And uh, the reason why I have all three is because my assistants shoot with them. Um, but I have the version one that I started with, which I know I have permanent damage from yeah. carrying that thing. It's so heavy. Uh, it's, I think it's 13 pounds, but um, that with the body and the monopod, all of that, plus the rest of my equipment, you know, it's like, it's like I'm going to war. You know, yeah. I'm like, it's like so much metal that I'm holding. And I'm telling you, walking around the Nurburgring, around <laughs> the perimeter of the Nurburgring with the first one, I seriously feel like I have permanent damage. But, you know, the second version was a lot lighter, a lot better. They took out a lot less metal. And then now this current version, I can handhold that thing all day. It's so light. It's, 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 it's pretty much half the weight. Um, That's a huge difference. That I can... I don't even have to use a monopod. It helps, you know, mm. still to keep things more stable. But the IS and also the the weight is such a big difference. Plus, it's, it's just, I don't know, it, it, it just, it's that much more different than the 300, right? The 300 is good and it's lightweight, but just the the look, it's not about the focal length. I don't really hair to get, have that reach it's more yeah. just about the, the shape of the image you know what mm. will come out of it because if i the nice thing is the 200 if i put the 14 extender on the 200 it turns into a three or 280 yeah, uh yeah. 28 right so it's nearly there nearly a 200 or a 300 28 yeah very close yeah but it, it's like yeah now we're getting really camera nerdy but <laughs> it's uh yeah, so I, I, I've I've just found from my style of shooting and also just the shape of a car in general, a race car or a whatever car, my equipment, I've just shaped it to that. Yeah, yeah, totally. On that sort of look front, do you have a, a, a width that you try not to go to in terms of shooting? Like oh, I, yeah. I know in terms of like, I try not to shoot below like 20 millimeters. If I'm shooting oh, I outside of a car, yeah. like, unless it's well, really far away and then it doesn't really matter. But like, do you know what I mean? Well, like they just, there's a certain yeah. point where they just get distorted and look weird. Yeah. Um, I guess it just depends on where, what you're trying to achieve. If we're in like a narrow tunnel and I'm trying to kind of show, I guess the, the just the grandness of the scale of the, of the scene, mm. then I'll go down to 16 um, and there are certain shots where I'll go even fisheye with the eight to 15. For example, if I'm mounting a on top of, a, if it's a drift car or something, even rally cars, uh, and we just don't have that physical space, you know, for the, for the lens to do its thing. Mm. Even if it's a 16 and it's not wide enough, then we, if we go fisheye, we could create, uh, correct the perspective later on. Yeah. And it's not bad, you know, it's not something where I'll spend all day. It's not like a skate video where every yeah, yeah. single photo is with <laughs> with a, a fisheye lens. But, you know, it's nice to kind of get some here and there. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I do find it funny when someone first gets like a fisheye and they just shoot like everything. Like every, oh, yeah, everything's yeah, through, like yeah, fisheye, yeah. like the whole yeah. thing. And everything is a little world, right? It's like, yeah, but, but, um, I mean, especially with interiors, like some, you have to go sometimes wide. interiors, you just have to go wide, especially with some things that are just more cramped. And of course, it does the store things, but. Now with software, it's so much easier to fix that kind of stuff. Do you have a, a, a favorite track to shoot at or worst track to shoot at? Hmm. The worst track to shoot at? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I know I have it in my head, but <laughs> um, I, uh, I don't, you, you know, I think it just comes down to access. Yeah. Like one of my favorite tracks, I think, is Laguna Seca. It's uh, so nice because you don't actually have to be trackside to get really nice photos. There's just so many viewing areas in the public. And that's those are my favorite kind of tracks. Those tracks and also street courses are my favorite um, because um, it's just really cool to be able to, to be among the spectators. And they, you know, they could just get the same photos that I'm shooting you know, even on their cell phones because yeah. the public areas are so nice and they have really good access. Um, I think probably the things, the tracks that I hate shooting at the most, I would say for, for safety reasons, I think like the NASCAR tracks are really, really difficult to shoot at because you're not allowed to shoot from the outside. Okay. Uh, obviously because a car hitting the fence at 200 miles per yeah, hour is not and you're next to it. Yeah. But uh, I, I guess I've been lucky that I had a chance to shoot those things before it got a lot more restricted. Mm. I think that's kind of the theme recently, right? It's like, I'm lucky that I had a chance to shoot 24 of a while before, you know, they got rid of basically the LMP ones. Yeah. You know, there's just like a lot of that. Um, but yeah, I, over time, you know, tracks are getting more and more restrictive and, you know, as they get more restrictive, you know, I'll definitely, not like shooting those yeah i think that's pretty much yeah Yeah, it's it's tricky it's definitely a trend i've noticed i haven't shot like tons of tracks but i shoot at spa quite a bit every Mm -hmm. now and and there's one place at spa that like everyone gets the shot it's like yeah a rouge when from the bottom yeah if you're a photographer you're standing on the outside of the track yeah and their cars come within inches of you yeah yeah Um, one of my most famous shots is from there um yeah lights yeah yeah light trails cars zipping past you could like high five the driver if you wanted Mm -hmm. um but the last time i went they just put up a massive concrete barrier the entire way along and you can't stand there anymore that's the crazy that's the crazy thing is um not being able to recreate my old shots you know and in a way it really sucks because new photographers can't do it but also i'm so glad i had a chance to shoot there before when it was still open definitely i think that my favorite thing really to shoot is um not tracks but like just races where it's not restrictive mm. like uh stage rally wrc you know pikes peak off-road racing baja 1000 like there's no track i mean there is a track but there's no barriers yeah yeah, yeah. Just, that sounds so much kind better of, yeah you just make your own and you you think about your own you, it's it's like a 360 area where you can go, you know, but you just kind of have to self-police in terms of 
where you should go and where you shouldn't go. Yeah. Well, when I'm thinking of that, I'm thinking of, and I'm now also looking at your hat, which says Hoonigan on it, mm-hmm. of Ken Block in the Hoonicorn with like the rear wheels off the edge on Pike's Peak. Yeah. yeah. Like madness. Um, yeah. When did you start getting, can you explain, well, can you explain to the listeners what Hoonigan is and how, how did you start getting involved with all of this? Hoonigan is a car culture brand slash lifestyle. And uh, they call themselves the Hoonigan Media Machine. And it really is a machine. The thing is, it, it's, it's kind of like, I guess, showcasing what car guys truly want to do with their cars. Sometimes hack them up. Sometimes do big burnouts. Sometimes jump them. Sometimes, you know, like it, it's, it's, it's less about the, the shape, the beauty, the lines of a car. It's more about enjoying them for what they truly are, which are machines. And, you know, they make loud noises. Maybe eventually they won't make any noises at all. <laughs> but it, it's, it's really, yeah, it's, it's hooning. You know, hooning is, that's the whole Australian term. It's doing burnouts, drifting, all of that, just making a ruckus that that's kind of like the audience that the, they speak to. And that's why I feel like it's been so popular. And of course um, we refer to Ken Block as the head Hoonigan in charge. He is like the original Hoonigan. And uh, he, you know, he promotes that lifestyle, but of course, you know, being safe and yeah. in, a, in, a, in a safe environment away from people. It's, it's uh, really, really cool to be a part of their crew. I actually started shooting with Ken on Gymkhana 4, um, the one that they did at the, the Universal Studios backlot. And I was actually there to cover for another photographer. But luckily for me, they actually liked my work. And pretty much from then on, I've been shooting with them. And that was nine or eight or nine years ago. And I've just been working with them ever since. Mm. They've been such a pleasure to work with. Part of it is because they come out with these, they're just so creative in that they, they, um, they basically push budgets in a way like they normal people or or smaller companies or, or most people with this kind of mindset potentially wouldn't be able to secure the funds to do these grand scale jobs or grand scale projects like uh, the Hoonigan guys, you know, shutting down San Francisco shutting down Dubai, shutting down Pikes Peak for 12 days, mind you, uh, to, to shoot that video. It's just so many, so, so many of these projects that I could only fathom doing, you know, standing in the middle of the freeway in Los Angeles, they shut down Los Angeles. Like I'm in the, in the middle of the freeway of, of a place that I grew up in. And I'm like, like with my cameras, like, eh, yeah. look, you know, like I'm, I'm literally doing, jumps and I'm just standing right in the middle of the freeway and that doesn't come cheap. You know, you, you have to, you have to really push hard to kind of get that kind of access and that's what those guys love. And they pride themselves in that. Yeah, no, I, I love what they've done and just like you said, promoting this other side and it's the fun side of driving, which is being Mm -hmm. like not so serious about owning cars. Like cars 
are meant to be driven. And yes, they can look nice, but it's also cool doing some donuts every now and then or whatever, just like using stuff in a (laughs) hilarious way. And yeah, yeah, it's I've sort of, you know, followed all the Ken projects and over time. At what point in time did you start making videos? So I started making videos not, well, I've shot videos a lot over the years. And there was one point maybe about 14 or 13 years ago where I actually was wondering if I should split off, if I should go more towards video or if I should go more towards uh, stills. And then I realized, you know, how much I love still photography. So I just kind of went for it, just full on, just still photography. And then at the time I was shooting on like DV tape, you know, and it was like, so it was like 640p or no, 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 320p, whatever. It was like really, really basic. I guess this, this time, this current time with Hoonigan Autofocus is pretty much my third attempt to get into video. And because I saw the success of Hoonigan and their daily transmission videos and how it's actually possible with today's technology to make a video every single day and of quality, then I realized, hey, maybe this is something that we should look into. I first started shooting and self-filming. And what I used to do was I actually handed the footage over to Hoonigan, to to their uh, offices in Long Beach. And they would have one of their editors cut it up. And then like I got my Fridays, like Fridays, they had an episode where it was just a little bit of everything. And any of their contributors could kind of contribute to this episode. Mm. So for multiple Fridays for, for a while, I was trying my best to always contribute it because it was just a different way to tell the story of what I was shooting. You know, I get my stills, but then in between that, it's like, I'll talk to the camera. I'll say, Hey, you know, Ken just came through here. It was crazy. It was his third attempt. You know, he had two tires off. It's the craziest thing. Oh my God. I, I love telling that story. And what I found is that people are more interested in how I'm getting the photos versus just. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The photos themselves, you know, it comes as a package. They like to see the photos. And they like to see, oh, this is how Larry got them. And this is how much he had to suffer to get these photos. <laughs> so so uh, with that, I, I saw, okay, there's a process to this and this is possible. And then over time, we, we did like the first 
Hoonigan autofocus series, which is something that Hoonigan produced. Um, we shot this series in Germany. Like it, it was such a dream series to shoot. We, we had a chance to shoot with Roof. Um, we had a chance to shoot with the guys at KW Suspension and just all of these really like high end German. Yeah. Like, cool um, brands. yeah, uh, Sydney Hoffman and uh, JP Performance, you know, pretty much the biggest German YouTube and car personalities. The, once I, once we did that, I realized like, this is it. This is what we have to do. We just have to have not daily content, but as much content as possible. So right now we do three episodes a week, which I think we've gotten it down pretty good between me and my three guys. We, that's just what we concentrate on now. You know, that's our editorial. That's our own editorial. Mm. We don't have to have any guidelines from any magazines or any outlets. It's our own outlet. And we tell the story that we like to tell. Yeah, I think it's a super cool platform. And you, I, you know, I just had a check on it like today to see, and I was like, you, you are smashing out the videos, like left, right, and center. It's crazy. Like this past weekend, we were at an event called Grid Life, which is usually um, during normal times, it's a music slash car festival. Mm. Right? So you go to one festival and then you get a little bit of everything. You get to see top musical acts, you get to see um, drifting, you get to see time attack, you get to see just seriously like the coolest car culture as well as the coolest um, musical performances. This weekend we went to one, of course they didn't have the musical performances because of, you yeah. know what? Uh, and uh, we just concentrated on shooting the cars. We ended up with seven Hoonigan autofocus episodes just from one weekend of shooting. And Part of it is just because you go to one location and there's awesome time attack cars, awesome drift cars, awesome this, awesome that, awesome home built cars. And then of course there's some, you know, higher end time attack cars. Yeah. But part of it is that it's just nice. Like they welcome us with open arms. They want us to tell their story. And um, yeah, we just love doing it. Yeah. It's, it's super cool. Do you have, um, I was just looking back at some of the, some of the videos you've done. Oh, and some of the ones I've watched recently, uh, mm-hmm. there was a, a Porsche 912 and then it's called the RSTI. So yeah. it's got a Subaru engine in it. I mm-hmm. thought that was like, there's just, there's loads, there's just loads of really cool built project yeah. cars. Do you have some favorites that you've filmed over the last, I don't know, recent period uh, or standout ones? There, there's, there's so many good ones that I like. <laughs> I guess that's the fun part of it is that sometimes I'll like something and we'll shoot it and we'll put out a video and no one else will like it. (laughs) Or it's something that I think is kind of okay, but we still want to feature it because, you know, we want to showcase the build and people go crazy over it. That's kind of the crazy thing about YouTube. And there's like that direct feedback, you know, we read as many comments as we can. Um, We try to improve in every which way we really take pride in every single video. One of the big things that we really focus on is having good audio because we're out and about, you know, it could be windy, it could be windy, it could be whatever, like, or it could be raining. There's just so many things um, hindering good audio. So we we really pride ourselves in trying to do our best to focus on that. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's those standout cars like um, my buddy, um, He's a Ken Block's head mechanic. He built that all-wheel drive 
Firebird Trans Am, and it's um, it's like a Nissan Skyline driveline with fully working Nissan Skyline Atessa system attached to this crazy big V8 with a huge blower <laughs> on it. it. It is just, I don't know, those kind of builds like the backyard home built yeah. cars that aren't pretty looking, but they're um, functional. And they, then they're so functional and so ugly and they have so much patina, they've become good looking again. You know, <laughs> they, yeah. the, those are the ones that I, I love the most. Those are the ones that speak to me. And then, you know, on top of that, we get to shoot those million dollar bills. Like the, the ring brothers, they build some oh, of the yeah. best cars in the world that like, um, that this past SEMA, the, the winning car of the show was a ring brothers car. And they asked me like, Hey, Larry, after the show, we want you to shoot it because what, after you shoot it, it's going to go off to Eastern Europe or wherever Belgium. I don't even know. I forgot where it went, Yeah, but it's going to go into a private collection and it's never going to see the light of day ever again. And we spend so much effort and time and it's a million dollar car. We would love for you to do a video on it and, and, you know, shoot it and all of that. That's so cool. it's, it's, yeah, it's those kind of cars. And then the cars that are part falling apart mid shoot. So have you driven a lot of, you get to drive most of these cars now, don't you? Uh, I, I kind of pick videos. and choose my battles. Um, there are certain cars that I just know I shouldn't be driving. Part of it is that, you know, potentially they're too expensive or it's just not conducive to the story, I guess. Yeah. It just, for example, like crazy time attack cars. Sometimes I just, I just know it's just yeah. too much for me, you know. Um, a lot of people like to comment, like, "Hey, why aren't you getting on it? Why aren't you doing burnout drifting?" I just people someone are so stupid. Like, yeah, it's someone else's car. It's not even my car. Um, if it's my own car, you know, I'll do whatever. Um, but yeah, part of it is that. Yeah. Oh, it's it's it's, it's a funny one seeing that. Literally, yeah, people come in and they like give you so much shit for not ragging a car. You're like, I'm yeah. not gonna rag a random car. Like, yeah. someone's laid hey, this I'm, to me. Unless, unless the owner asks me to, you know, if, if the owner asks me to, then I'd be happy to, to try at least. Yeah. To give it, give it a go. Did, I, I saw you did one recently. You did a, a Gunther works car. Did you, did you drive that one? I didn't see. I asked. That's one where I actually oh. asked to drive and they basically said no, because it's so expensive. And oh, okay. part of it is that it's not their car anymore. It's someone else's car. They already sold the car yeah, and they were there to basically test it and break the track record for an air-cooled car. And, you know, I, I was like, hey, can I drive it? They're like, not this one, but you can drive another one that we built. But you can ride in this car. So I had a chance to ride in it, and it was really nice. But, yeah, so, you know, so the, most people, I think I've built up a reputation where people know that I'm not going to destroy their car. Yeah. Uh, I just want to at least feel what it's like to drive it. Yeah. it everyone feels different you know i think that's a that's a better reputation to have than to be the guy that's known for sick drifting and all that sort of <laughs> stuff because like there will be owners around the world like i i've got to drive to drive quite a lot of cool cars and it's yeah. been because the owner trusts me not yeah. to mess their car up right so like right, i trust right. you like whatever you decide to do i know that you're fully respectful of me and my car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If we're on a track and you decide to push it, 
that's because you know you've got it not like you're just giving it a go no. i am um, i did a i did a podcast with busy <clears> recently <throat> and seeing his electric 935 you had to go <laughs> in that didn't you yeah he's he's so awesome he's local to me he's uh one of my favorite people to work with he's so he's so nerdy about his cars i absolutely <laughs> love it like he's nerdy about his cars as how i'm nerdy with cameras he yeah. just i don't know he just goes into it and his 935 um as i explained in the video that i did it's it's uh it's kind of getting enthusiasts to look at electric cars a different way i've just i've driven electric cars i've driven teslas i've they, they don't do it for me you know they just don't they're boring they look terrible they sound terrible i don't know it just it's just boring to me but then i get in his car it looks amazing it's a 935 it performs great it actually sounds pretty cool but part of it is that it is just a wild machine and it, it speaks to enthusiasts you know it looks it looks apart it looks right and just i don't know he you can see his enthusiasm and all the thought that he's put into every little bit of it. Uh, it's, it's really cool to see. Yeah, it's super cool. I think uh, that was the one thing I took away from the conversation with him was mm-hmm. you see this guy, Busy Moto, for those people that don't know who we're talking about, um, he's built these crazy cars over the years. Like his, a standard build for him is like a thousand horsepower, shooting flames, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Um, and then he's built this 935, but with an electric powertrain. And the bit that got it for me was listening to him talk about it. He is visibly excited about the prospect of driving this car, building the car, all of the stuff. And that for me is like a enthusiast of cars and driving cars yeah. made me like excited about the idea. I was like, I can get behind this. If he thinks it's awesome, it's not going to be shit. Like it's, I want to try this out. This sounds like this could be fun. Well, you have to just look at his other cars, right? When totally. you say 1,000 horsepower, yeah, okay, yeah, he builds 1,000 horsepower cars. One of his other famous cars is that Honda Odyssey minivan. <laughs> and the, the, I always like to tell this story when anyone brings up Issy. I went to his place to shoot the minivan, and this was when I was just doing still photography. And I asked him, I was like, hey, uh, do you think you can do a burnout? As like the final thing, you know, because I know burnout, sometimes you destroy the car. Yeah. You break an axle or whatever. I'm like, Hey, just do it. Can you just do a burnout for us? And he's like, yeah, I'll try. I've never done it. It has a thousand horsepower, but I've never done a burnout. And I'm next to him. You know, I'm ready to shoot. I have my camera rig all rigged up on my car. Cause I wanted to actually follow him as yeah. he did the burnout. So he revs it up to red line. He drops the clutch. And it just stalls. It just like lurches forward and it stalls. And I'm like, okay, like it has a thousand horsepower. I should be able to do this, you know? And he's like, let me try it again. And same thing. He does it, revs it up. It's super loud, drops the clutch, it stalls. And I'm like, something's not right here. Something's weird. I'm like, what gear are you in? He's like, I'm in third gear. <laughs> I'm like, what the, what is this? What, why? He's like, every one of my other cars, I start burnouts in third gear. <laughs> Mind you, third gear 
potentially could go up to a hundred miles an hour. Right. So, so he's dropping the clutch at a hundred miles an hour. I said, please just do me a favor. Try second gear, you know, normal as normal humans will do burnout starting in first gear. Okay. Um, he, he puts it in second and it lights up like, like, Oh my God, it lights up. He, he basically does a, a, a burnout for a block long in yeah. that thing. I guess it was just not to do a burnout in third gear. <laughs> yeah. That's so yeah. mad. That's yeah, so mad. crazy. You, you have a, a build at the moment. Is that right? You, you're doing a, a two, you have a 240Z. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 240Z. For, 240Z. For your audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I have a couple builds going on. Um, I love building cars too, even though I'm not much of a wrencher. The 240Z is kind of a long-term project. It's uh, my lifelong car that I'm going to have forever. And I bought it on my 21st birthday. And pretty much every year, I've just been adding to it little by little. Yeah, yeah it's right now it's in, it's uh, going under the knife again. Uh, it's getting a new cooling system. It's getting new brakes. It's getting a new ECU. Actually, I just put a, a, my friends at Z Car Garage um, up near San Francisco, they actually put in a Haltech ECU system, so it's running again, which is nice. But uh, I'm I'm really excited to get that back and then take it to shows and potentially take it to uh, places or, or, or shoot some videos with it. You know, I think it'll yeah, be yeah. a lot of fun. It's a cool looking thing. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's um, all, all I've been trying to do over the years is just make it a modern car. Yep. You know, I, I put uh, AC back into it, mm-hmm. AC and heat, and um, I put uh, a sound system in it just because, you know, I'm like de-race carring it. Since I bought it, I've been racing it, and I've been driving it hard. I've been taking it to the racetracks, and that was actually my camera car, what I used to actually chase yeah. uh, drifting, and, you know, I would get up right on their doors, and I would break headlights, and windshields and stuff like that. I didn't care about it, but up until recently, you know, I did a full restoration on it and it's, it's just cool to see it in a different way. Mm. Yeah. It's so nice having the AC and sound system and stuff like that back in. Like I've, I have an, an old 911 that's, um, it's a 78 SC that's been backdated. So it looks mm-hmm. like a 73 ST, that sort of thing. Nice. Um, and I just put aircon in it this year. Um, I haven't actually had you, it back from that. Do you need air conditioning in you, London? You don't, you don't most of the time, but now we seem to be getting really hot summers. Um, so it gets to like 30. And then also I like taking it on trips. So I like going to Europe and yeah, yeah. driving my cars in different places. And No, that's awesome. Not yeah, having AC <laughs> kills you. There's just something right with driving a car without power steering, right? Roll up windows mm. and... You have to like think when you're actually shifting, you actually have to yeah. do it slowly. Is yours right-hand drive or left-hand drive? Mine's right-hand drive. Okay. So like, you're just like, you actually have to think when you're driving. And I think mm-hmm. that's a lot of fun. Like every time I drive my 240Z, it's so visceral and it's just so raw. Like my armpits get sweaty. I'm like <laughs> getting nervous. I'm like, like, I'm like sweating, like just trying to keep it on the road, you know? Yeah. It's a 50-year-old car, and it's fragile. It's like this tin can. If it gets hit with anything, you know, it's basically going to 
pulled over, pulled into yeah. itself. But it, it's it just gives me a different feeling versus driving just the appliance. Yeah, totally. This I hadn't driven it in a long time, and I took it out before it went in for this recent amount of work, and just drove around London, and it was just oh, it's that thing of like it's got the the nine oh one gearbox, so it's like a van. <laughs> yeah, it's like a really long throw. And yeah, really, to, really long throw. Yeah, and, and but it's still five. It's still five speed, right? Yeah, it's a five speed. Yeah, but yeah, like just it just changing gear in that car is something you have to think about. And it becomes like part, it's an extra part of the experience. Now, if you just drive something with like modern and paddles, like yeah. you just get from A to B and you're there. Whereas definitely going back and driving older cars again, you just appreciate, like you said, you appreciate more of the journey. And if it's like, it doesn't have AC, well, that <clears throat> unless it's just completely ruins your trip, it, you have to think about that and you're like, you got to put the windows down and then you get more noise or whatever. And you just, yeah. all of these things come back and it, you just sort of go like, Oh yeah, I like driving. Like I like driving, not just getting from A to B. Yeah. <coughs> Otherwise we would just be in whatever, all like a box. Yeah. <laughs> like a box. Just wind- with windows and it just. <laughs> <laughs> and if it gets to that stage, I'm happy for the box to just drive me. Like I, <laughs> I'll just get in the back and then do other right. stuff. Right, just right. transport. What are your favorite events? If you could pick three favorite events of the year to attend. Mm, I think um, I would say one of them is definitely Goodwood Festival of Speed. Mm. I love that event so much. Hopefully one day I'll be able to attend the ball. That's, <laughs> that's something that I want to do. Um, and uh, I definitely think Pipe Speak is good even though I just thinking about it, it, it's, um, I kind of feel pain just thinking about it because it, it really is like suffering for a week. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it's at the end of the day, you know, once I look at the pictures, there's no, there's no other place like it, you know, and the colors and the cars and the atmosphere, everything. Uh, what's so tricky about it? Like what's, what's the suffer come from? The, the hours and the altitude. Yeah. So the hours that we have to shoot are pretty ridiculous. Like for, for race day, we usually have to wake up at one thirty AM to mm-hmm. head up to the mountain to basically beat the traffic to, uh, because usually there's spectators. I don't know what it's going to be like this year because there's no spectators on a normal practice day. We shoot for a week straight there mm-hmm. every single day. And we have to wake up very early. We have to get on the mountain at 4.30 to 5 a.m. And then we have to battle the altitude. The altitude is just so rough. I think um, Everest Base Camp is 17,000 feet. Mm. I could be wrong. 17 or 19,000 feet. The the Pikes Peak is 14,110 feet. And uh, pretty high. the oxygen is just... It's, it's just rough to be out there yeah. in the elements in the middle of summer it's so cold up there it hails it rains it snows uh it's just a different climate system it's it's just it's fun but it's rough yeah 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 fair yeah and then and number three what was your third so you got good mm. to pike's peak that's a really good question in terms of like spectating events uh I really like, um, hmm, that's a good question. 
I mean, either I think the SEMA show, either the SEMA show or um, Tokyo Auto Salon, like the the two like big culture events. Yeah, I, I know. I know in Europe there's what the SM show, right? Or what? What are the big yeah. events? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I've not been to Essen, but there's Essen, mm-hmm. and then there's all the big motor shows like Geneva, yeah. which has actually just been cancelled yeah. probably yeah, for the I've, last I've, time. I've been to, I've been to Geneva, but I don't, the, the the more culture oriented, the more tuner yeah. shows are the ones that I really like. Uh, part of it is it's because it's not a it's not for the show itself. The show is cool for for SEMA and for, for Tokyo Salon, but it's all the things surrounding it that mm. I love so much. You know, visiting the local shops, visiting all the meets that's happening. Pretty much all of the best tuners, either from the Japan, from Japan or from the U.S., gather to that one, that one yeah. spot. Excuse me, to that one spot just to um, showcase the best builds for the year. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, like you said, it's definitely like it's the things around, like whether it's the Nurburgring Twenty Four, and there's just like yeah. tons of shit going on. Oh yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, so yeah. those the, like those events are fun for me. The Nurburgring and Lamont and Sebring and Twenty Four Hours of Daytona. All the Twenty Four mm-hmm. Hour races are fun. I've been to every single Twenty Four Hour race uh, or, or sports car race. Mm. And Have you been to Le Mans Classic? I haven't been to the Le Mans Classic, but like current, it's not technically a Twenty Four Hour race, but yeah, it's what. I was saying it's not technically a 24-hour race. Right, because um, they stop, right? And well, they, yeah, because they do, like, they race for 24 hours, but it's in slots. Right. So each, each category gets, like, three slots throughout the 24 hours, so one night, one day, whatever. Oh, I see. Um, um, I haven't been to that. That's a good one. I'm sure just, that's one. Just that in terms of the cars. Yeah, but I just find that as a spectator, it's, um, it's a lot easier just to watch on television. It's yeah. when you go there as a spectator, it's pretty much just a party. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's part for the cars, but it's mostly a party. But the events that I'm talking about, like Russell Speed, that's yeah. you go there, it's, not it's to party. You, that's not a one where you're shotgunning beers. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's like the, the craziest thing. Like when I go, when I'm going through the forest, um, when I'm shooting the Narbograin, you just have to watch out where you step because you could potentially you could walk into somebody's pee stream, you know, <laughs> like because yeah, in the yeah. middle of the night you're stumbling around. There could be like twenty guys just, just they just whip it out and they just start yeah. peeing anywhere they want <laughs> and and in different directions and towards each other sometimes. So if you walk in between them, you just basically walk directly through their stream. It's not like that at Goodwood Festival of Speed, I can tell you. No, no, it's not. <laughs> and Goodwood, yeah. yeah, there's just so much mad stuff everywhere at Goodwood. Do you think you'll, will you be there next year? Or you don't know? No idea. Who knows? You don't, who, who knows, knows what's going to happen? Cool. Well, I normally wrap these up with five questions. Sure. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? Huh. That's a good question. Um, I, I think, um, let's see. I mean, Gumball was pretty cool for me. I had a chance to drive a couple years ago. It was, um, I think. Was it Riga to Mykonos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Riga to Mykonos. I was on that one. And we had our right-hand drive 
LC 500 mm. uh, Alexis. And that was a lot of fun for me. It was just different. It's not my cup of tea, really. It's not to, to, to be a part of that group, that yeah. image of that. I just, it, in a way, it, it's, it's just not relatable at all. But yeah. the car culture aspect of it was really cool for me. And I absolutely loved that. And it was just a lot of fun to drive through all these countries. And the fact that Gumball basically paid the entire country of Albania to let us rip through it <laughs> with no speed limits. Yeah, it was, it was insane. I, I've just never seen anything like it. It was crazy. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I was just about to say, I've got a similar, similar experience on a, on a Gumball. Mm-hmm. Just like you're somewhere and there's just don't seem to be any rules. And yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely, I'm just glad I got to experience it. I'm glad I got to photograph it because in it's in a way, you know, it's so beautiful and it's just, uh, there's just that disconnect with, with, uh, most people, most yeah. people can't even imagine that kind of world, you know? Yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's a mad thing, but like, like I said, yeah. cool to do once or whatever, but like yeah. experience and then yeah. go on. Next mm-hmm. question, five car garage, unlimited value. Mm. This is my um, practical side. I think like I, I could choose the crazy cars, right? I, yeah, yeah. I think everyone will probably choose the McLaren F1, but I just think <laughs> about the practicality of, of having yeah, something yeah. like that, you know, and you, you just can't just, just um, replacing the fuel tank. Uh, yeah. I, I hear about it all the time because we're, we're lucky enough. We get to work with uh, Jay Leno a lot and yeah. he's an F1 owner. He loves, he doesn't complain about it, but he loves bringing up the fact that it costs that so much, much to basically maintain it. And, and on top of that, his guys do a lot of the work on that thing yeah. and it's still very expensive. Uh, it's just, I don't know. I, I just, it's a little too much for me, you know, driving yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. I don't even know how much it is now. $20 million. But yeah, there's, there's, it's tough to say five cars. That's too small of a garage. Yeah, I know. But this is the question. <laughs> yeah. The question I can give you, I can give you some categories. Like what's your daily driver? Yeah. I, I think, you know, what would be cool is to have just that, um, I guess the, the, uh, kind of like the initial D collection, you know? It's like, uh, have you watched Initial D? Do you know what that is? I, the, the like old school drifting show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like um, FDR7, you know, some sort of GTR. I mean, I guess for me, it'd probably be like a 34 GTR. Yeah. And then um, A86 and uh, Civic EG6. And I, I, I don't know. It's, it's just, it, it's just something like a themed yeah, yeah, garage, yeah. you know, yeah, like that's a two-tone, two-tone S13. That's I'm just saying that as realistic, and that's something that I yeah. could strive strive for. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. No, I like that idea because I've I've asked a lot of people these questions. Yeah, and you get a lot of like, oh, I'd have an F1 GTR, I'd have a 250 short wheelbase, like yeah. a lot of that stuff, which is you know totally fine. You said I've said unlimited. Yeah. Uh, but no one, no one's gone for a theme, and I like that. I like having a theme. That's that's quite cool. Uh, it's gonna sound really dumb, but part of it is that of hopefully eventually I'll be able to achieve that. Yeah, you know these are all obtainable cars. Yeah, totally. Yeah, uh, it just 
I just picture it and, and it could inspire people to see such a collection mm. and they're all pristine. And I don't know, I just look at, I, I could think about it. And it's like, that's something that people would want to see. Yeah. That's something that like, Oh wow. He has the initial D collection. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's like, these are the cars. Like I, I think already uh, people are saying that I kind of have the Wanga Midnight kind of collection because I have a 240Z. I have a 911 Turbo. That's a newer one, but mm. but same thing. So I have the R32 GTR, uh, 240Z, a 911 Turbo, and then it's like, oh, you just have to get a couple more cars and you have the Wanga <laughs> Midnight collection. I'm like, okay, all right, well, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Which 911 Turbo have you got? I have a 996. Yeah, which cool. is the we'll last uh, which is the last one that you can pretty much work on and do you do some work on that yeah I mean I, I just do the normal things on it I've, I kind of got a pretty I got, I got one that was in kind of rough condition and just mm. over the years it's been restoring it yeah. and uh, finally it's at a point where it's a stopping point where I can just leave it alone uh, yeah, yeah. eventually I'll probably make it more into a GT2 like a mm-hmm like a copy of a GT2. Yeah. But what, what inspired me was the roof, um, our turbo, the, their nine and six, you know? So I just yeah. kind of, everything I've been doing is to kind of copy that, including like the wheels that I got, including just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's such a cool company. I love roof. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I've got a, an invite to go and drive some cars at some point. And Ooh, I, you have to go. Cannot wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've had a chance. I can actually say that I owned the new CTR. Oh, sick. How was yeah. it? It's so cool. But I think that's cool, but I actually like their old C, uh, CTR2. Like the 993. Yeah, there's the 997 one. No, 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 no. The 993. The 993 air-cooled CTR2, I think. Yeah, the the, the, the three the three was the one that would look like a Cayman or something, wasn't it? No, no, no. I, I didn't have a chance to drive that. That thing is insane. Um, but the no, but I had a chance drove to the drive. New one. I drove the new one, but I also drove their older one that's based off of a nine nine three. Oh, and I like that one actually more because it 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 um it just acted more like a car like a like a like a turbo car that I would like. The new yeah. one is so good has like barely any turbo lag yeah. and it's so fast and it's just so dangerous. I love <laughs> the old one because you put it into gear and it feels like a nine three, but when you step on it, it's like nothing's happening. It's slow. <laughs> and then when the boost kicks in, it's um, it's the end of the world. It's so crazy. It's so that's it like- ex- accelerates so fast. It's so much fun. And you know what it reminds me of? It actually reminds me of like a really hopped up, single turbo Toyota Supra. It's like yeah. the to- Toyota Supra of the German world because it's so, has such crazy turbo lag yeah. that it just sounds so good. And I-, I love it so much. I've been sort of following Phil from Driftworks, his uh-huh. GT2 type thing. Yeah. And um, that, that car has really like made me look back and go, oh, at some point I would love a heavily turbocharged and I want it to be I want it to be like stupid in the sense of like you say you put your foot down and nothing happens and then <laughs> just like yeah, exactly. everything goes exactly. mental like there's a yeah. lot to be said for that experience <laughs> like when you drive these 
modern turbocharged cars that that sort of emulate an NA engine. You're like, yeah. yeah, but turbos can be fun. Like they can be real fun in the yeah. way that they're stupid. Whereas yeah. you can just have an NA engine if you want. I know you it, can't have the same power. Exactly, exactly. Like uh, Bill's car, we've had a chance to shoot it. And I love that thing so much. It sounds amazing. And it's just so cool. That's just that, that like, it's not about the numbers. It's not about the fact that it is fast because modern cars are a lot faster, but it's just about the driving experience. It's so much mm. fun. And, and yeah, it's just that visceral feeling, you know? Yeah, totally. Okay. If you could only drive one car for the rest of your life, what would it be? Mm. And you're allowed like a $500 car on the side for lugging stuff around if you need to so it can be, so it can be a sports car you know some people would go oh, i need to have a four seats or something hmm. that's a really good question it would be something that i have to stare at all the time yeah i think i think i would take my my 240z that's cool it, it's just it's just part of it is that, that i've grown up with it you know it's yeah. the one that i've had the longest and i feel like realistically if, it, if it's i would sell so many other things if I had to, but I would keep that one because, you know, when I was 21 years old, I bought it for $3,000 and, you know, $3,000 was a lot of money to me back then, but it, it just, yeah, it's just become like a part of the family. Yeah. And it's evolved as you have over time as well. Yeah. Yeah. Back then it barely ran and <laughs> it was a, you know, piece of crap. And now it's uh, like a brand new car. Yeah. No, that's cool. Okay, what's the most undervalued car at the moment? What do you think is undervalued? Hmm. What's cheap? Undervalued. That's a really good question. I think um, a lot of the cars that I shoot, some of, especially the ones on autofocus, I always see comments like, oh, great, thanks for featuring this. Now the prices are going to skyrocket. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I doubt that I'll ever make a dent in any price of anything uh <laughs> you never know <laughs> yeah but it, it's it's yeah it's kind of interesting to, to see i don't know that's a really that is a good question undervalued hmm. i'm trying to think i think a lot of off-road vehicles are undervalued part of it is because like a lot of these off-road vehicles um like for example in the uk you know the the, the range rover the, the, it's it's in the UK. It's called the Vogue, right? It's like yeah. the high high end yeah, one. Yeah. Like that's an expensive car, right? Mm. Um, but it doesn't. When when someone buys one of those, they don't go off roading right away. No, um, it's only second hand owners that really take it off roading. They put different tires on it. They put the different wheels. They put a, a tent on it. You know what I found that what I find that is that in the US. You know, with a lot of these cars, they do that, and then um, you know, they build a following. Like when it first came out, a lot of these cars, for example, like my um, FJ Cruiser, yeah, it wasn't valued that high. But now that every it's come on the, the secondhand, thirdhand market, mm-hmm. people are driving them more, and or they're they're actually using them for what they were made for, Intended, which is off road yeah. duty, not actually just going to the mall. Not actually just for going to the grocery store, but actually for off-roading. And as they get more and more wrecked and they get more and more like destroyed and rolled over yeah. and all that and body damage, 
you know, the ones that are surviving are actually going up more and more in price. And maybe it's not caught up to, to, to what they're actually worth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was that was a car, um, some of my Saudi friends, like when mm-hmm. I, I went to visit them in Saudi and like FJ Cruiser was like, everyone had an FJ. It was like standard. Yeah. I was like, I've never seen one of these things before. Like I didn't yeah. exist, but like, and they were using them, like you said, for, for like actual exactly. sand yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, right, final question. What's the most interesting car to you at the moment? What are you Googling? What are you looking up? Hmm. What are you checking out on Instagram? At the moment, you mean new car? Any car. New, old, hmm. whatever. Race car, road car, drift car. Hmm. That's a really good question too. You got all the good questions. <laughs> uh, I think um, new car. I think the, the new cars, I'll, I'll, I'll go new car for this one. I, I definitely think... Uh, it's pretty cool that uh, Toyota is going to bring back the hot hatch. Mm. I don't. In, I think in the UK they'll release the Yaris Turbo. Yeah. Right. So That's a cool thing. They've been they've been um, competing in WRC for so many years now, and you can't actually get a car that re- resembles that. Yeah. Until now, I think that's going to be really cool. On the US side, we'll get the Corolla, which is a yeah. little bigger but it should be the same engine um, from what I've read. So will it have the same sort of look? So I, we don't know. Um, It's still kind of in its initial stages. And I've even like, as much as I work closely with Toyota, obviously they will give me these secrets. I've, I've like signed up for like email updates, you know, on, on the website because uh, anytime they want to like leak some info, um, (laughs) it's, it's cool because so we, we did build um, a Toyota, Corolla for the SEMA show two years ago. Mm. And I'm assuming that potentially this could be all one of our next SEMA cars because it's like gone are the days where those cars exist. You know, the focus RS from Ford came and gone so quick and now they're not even going to build any small cars anymore. It's like, you know, they're, they're losing out on, they're just giving up on this market. Whereas like I loved the focus RS. I think it was awesome. Yeah, cool car. And and the ST and the Fiesta and whatever, yeah. all of those. Like the small cars, there is still a market for it. And maybe it's not one of those things where it's uh, like those potentially could be first cars or second car. Like set, like uh, uh, you have your daily driver and then you have your project car. Yeah. You know, you think Toyota makes any money from selling their Supra, you know? But it's just about that. Yeah something to look up to something to look forward to. Yeah. Like a Halo like, project. Yeah. Halo car. Like Ish, Ford yeah. should know they, they did the GT. How much money have they lost on the GT? You know? Um, but what has it done? It's elevated the brand so much. The other day um, when we were in Chicago, I saw it was a Ford GT parked next to some, I think it was like a McLaren 720 or something. I didn't even notice the McLaren. I was like, yeah, forget that thing. Like I, Get, get that out of the way. I just want to look at the Ford GT. You know, that thing is just so cool. They have done um, amazingly with that. I've noticed that. I've I've driven a friend's one around and everyone, we actually drove, it was Tim. I don't know if you've ever met Tim. Shmi 150. You ever come across him? Um, we, we had his, we were driving his Senna and his Ford GT mm-hmm. and no one was looking at the Senna. Like no <laughs> one. It's just like, what the <laughs> hell is that car? And you're like, Even okay, though the Senna's were, or the Senna was initially worth more right yeah, yeah but yeah, the yeah. gt 
is worth more on second hand. Yeah, I think so. And the GT is probably like staying there and the center is just going down and down a bit. So I was at um, an auction at the Peterson Museum. Have you been to the Peterson Museum? No, but it looks like I've seen videos from it. Yeah, yeah. So I've been to the museum for uh, uh, this auction and they were auctioning off, get this, they were auctioning off the rights to buy the last Ford GT. Here, here I was like, I showed up late um, or I, I just wasn't informed on what was going on. Yeah. And uh, my buddies actually work at a Ford dealership at at the largest Ford dealership Mm. in the world. They were like sitting pretty close to me. And I was like, I looked at the screen. I was like, Oh cool. They're oxygening off the Ford GT, you know? And it was going like, (laughs) up. it's like 100, 200, 300, whatever. It was just getting higher and higher and higher. Yeah, Yeah. I was like, oh, crazy. Like, oh, you know, it's, it's going to reach cool, market yeah. value. And my buddy's like, you know, they're not actually auctioning off for GT, right? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? They're auctioning off just the right to buy it. You still have to buy the car. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell? Like somebody just paid. I don't even know how much it ended it's up over. being. Yeah. It was insane though. It was so much. I couldn't believe it because all of these people that actually had a chance to buy one, you know, you had to write a letter, right? You had to like yeah, prove to them that you would yeah. promote the brand and be. I'm your biggest fan. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so the people that actually got them, they uh, they got them, they they got the right to buy them for free, and essentially they doubled, tripled their money right away by buying this car that tripled yeah. its value, you know, overnight. So, uh, yeah, it's crazy that it's worth more than the Senate. I mean, the Senate is crazy, way more faster, right? way faster, way faster in every way, but, um, just the aura around it. It's not the same. Yeah. Thing. And it's like, the, and, and if you just look at those two cars, mm-hmm. the center is like an impressive bit of kit, mm-hmm. but I would say it looks like shit. Like it's cool, oh, yeah. but it, but it just like, nah, doesn't look very good. P1 GTR. Mega looking thing. Yes, yes. Four GT, really cool looking thing. Oh but yeah. Then, Groundbreaking. But then like not that appealing to drive. I'm not that no. bothered about driving a four GT, whereas mm-hmm. driving a Senna, I thought was mad. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, but that's. I mean, that's the difference, right? That's the thing. Like people ask me why I like certain cars, and you know, as a visual person, same for you. Yeah. You know, you just like it for the visual appeal of it. Yeah, if you can, yeah. you can give me all the tech, all the speed, all the everything. But if I don't like the look of it, yeah, it's, it's all of this stuff is just it's crazy amounts of money anyway. So like, right, you've got to want to look at it because you ain't driving it all the time. Yeah, I mean that's the whole thing with the Tesla. It's like, oh, it does it's like a crazy acceleration, but man, it just has no soul. It looks terrible. Yeah. Um, I get it. It's fast. I think it's cool that it's fast. Insane mode or whatever mode. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I just. I don't care. I'd rather drive in a way slower car and I feel like a million bucks driving it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I think your your initial answer to that question, which was the um like a, a modern homologated car from rallying, like it just <clears throat> we have missed this. Like why yeah. why I love the wide body, mad looking cars. And if you could have it on a Fiesta, if you could get a Fiesta R S 
whatever, call it something silly, whatever. Mm. And it had like a proper badass white body kit on it. And it was a bit <laughs> stupid. I think that would sell tons. Like the Fiesta in the yeah. UK is an insanely popular car anyway. And people want, they want this like tie-in. Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, going back to a couple of your questions, like could you imagine like a five-car garage with all of like the iconic homologated cars, you know, like yeah. the RS200, um, you know, the Audi Quattro, uh, the, the yeah, like um, Subaru. Re- Renault, Renault, right? R5. Yeah. yeah it, it's just like, that would be such a cool garage to see. Uh, and you can go yes. all the way up the spectrum, can't you? Because you, yeah. you could have the rally cars and then you could have like a GT1 car. Right, right. Like, and and then also another thing is uh, um, one thing that you brought up. It's like having the, the streetcar version of a certain thing. What, one thing that I've mentioned many times before is like, why the heck did BMW not build like a, a, a GT3, like this, the Z4, right? the Z4? Yes. They had a GT3 version. And I think that was probably one of the best looking sports cars racing, you know, at Spa, yeah. at Nürburgring, at, you know, at Le Mans. It was so good looking and it was so uh, iconic. Everything about it, the motor, everything was so cool. And you look at the streetcar and it was, what a pile. Yeah. Right? Oh my God. Like they could have just come up with like that version, like the, the, you know, the supercar. Yeah. And, and, and put a silly price on it. Like, yeah. like BM, BMW do with their M3 GTS or whatever. Yes, it's the like GTS, double the yeah. price or something. Yeah. And just do a Z4 yeah. GTS. Yes. But like yes. go, go mad. Right. It would be unreal. Oh my God. People would love it. I, <laughs> I just, it. I spent so much time photographing that car when it was racing. And I do even had a chance to ride in one, you know, at Sebring mm. and I love it so much, but the street going version is the soccer mom, like, yeah, whatever. That's what you take to, to, uh, your hair salon appointment or whatever. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so terrible, but I love the, the race car version. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's such a disconnect. That's, and there's a yeah. few race cars that are like that, where I look at the race car and I'm like, that's badass as hell. And then I look at the road <laughs> car and I'm like, not that bothered about it. Yeah, that reminds me when, when I used to follow the World Touring Car Championship and like I went mm. to a round in, or I, I think that year they, they so they had a, the Russian Lada yeah. <laughs> competing in World Touring Car and it looked really good, you know, it had these crazy over fenders. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, ladders are pretty cool. You know, it's, uh, but the yeah. funny thing is I saw the race car before I actually went to Russia and, and I so, see the lot on the street. I'm yeah. like, what a terrible <laughs> car. You know, same thing happened with the, the Dacia, the, the duster. Sandero or whatever it's called. No, the duster. Oh, the duster. Yeah. The duster. I saw a duster first in, in a race car form at Pikes Peak. And my friends and I were like, Oh, the Dacia Duster is so good looking. It's so cool. <laughs> and I finally saw the streetcar version. I was like, that's not even the same thing at all. It's so ugly. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. It's such a big difference. Well, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll see some more homologated white oh, yeah. kits on road cars. That would cars. be awesome. I think they'd sell, sell tons. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. It's been, thank you. It's been good chat. Nice to yeah. meet thanks you. Thanks for having me. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.